smell what the rock is cooking. The rock came out to surprise the millions. Hey guys, I'm here with uh, Olan and uh, Michael James. Heyo, is it Heyo or Hoyt? Hoyt, yeah. yeah. It's like the perfect thing to start with for me, like going into 2021, a lot of pre-voting going on. So all I can say is that this is Monster of the Week, constructing old school magic. What are we talking about today, Olan? Uh, today we are talking about the, the feared t- uh, tier 1 deck, The Rock. A real green-black monster, you could say. It's really a monster of the week. Exactly. And uh, Michael, I've seen some of your lists going around because you've been playing the deck a while, it seems. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I try and play different decks every month, but I do come back to The Rock quite frequently. I like a lot of the things that it does. So yeah, I, I do play The Rock a good amount. Yeah, and uh, Orlando, do you want to like, take us back a while to the beginning? Why is it The Rock even? Yeah, What's the um, thing about it? I, I'm not an expert about this because this is one of the decks I've never played, but The Rock is a Phyrexian Plague Lord. Um, and then he has his millions with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's and, actually uh, named after the wrestler, right? Yeah, uh, wrestler, actor, uh, and yeah, whatever. And his millions. So there's a misconception there usually. And it's uh, Sol Malka named it that. I think it was because of the Raged Hermit. So it's the similarities there. And his her it's millions of tokens i guess uh so maybe we're not going to go through all of that but it's closing to 20 years ago that happened and that's why it's called the deck still and uh michael do you want to tell us what it's all about sure. the rock yeah the the rock typically refers to a black green mid-range deck and it's going to use black for discard spells and removal spells and then it usually uses the green cards for beefy, efficient creatures, and then either mana ramp or sometimes some amount of value creatures. And there are a lot of customizations that can be made to the rock, which is kind of one thing that keeps me coming back to it is you can always tweak it or change a few cards to adapt to your meta. And so there are a lot of variations in, in black green rock lists that you'll see in pre-modern. Yeah, and I think that's why you always see it like from time to time in like doing real strong finishes what what do you think Olan? yeah yeah for sure and i i think the deck is uh, i think it's cheating a bit because it it seems to be able to handle everything in the format it's like it has this discard mass removal uh, defense it has beefy creatures 
So mm. yeah, I, I think it, it's one of the few decks it feels like that I never played. Um, but. So so except for the like tweaking ability of the deck, uh, Michael, do you, what, what would you say is like the strong points for the deck? So one of the things I would say is that the deck really just doesn't have any weaknesses. And that's not to say that the deck is just the best deck in pre-modern, but mm-hmm. it, it just there's no matchup that you're really afraid to, to play against. Uh, you feel like you have a shot in every matchup, which is a really good feeling. Uh, and then beyond that, the games, a lot of times the way that they play out, because of the nature of cards like Duress and Cobalt Therapy that kind of slow down your opponent's game plan, will make the games play out a little longer. And and you're not a, a super fast deck. You're not going to kill them on turn four or five. That The gameplay is really interesting a lot of the time with the rock. And so I guess those two features, I think that you have a lot of agency with how the games go. And um, each game is kind of, it feels like a battle um, each time that they play out a little differently. You get to make decisions within the game. And I think that's a, a really appealing thing to a deck because not all decks have that feature. Some, some are kind of pre-scripted where you just have to your play play turn one play is always the same or your way of winning is always the same and the rock necessarily doesn't always follow that same same script yeah because you're like other decks might want to get to a point in a way but here we we have like maybe this card or maybe mana acceleration turn one and there's (laughs) there's a decision already there Mm -hmm. and maybe with tapped lands coming into play so there's a lot of things that could actually happen differently each game, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we talked about this b- just before we started like recording, but we usually go through like a deck and talk a bit about that. But uh, you actually put forward some of the like key cards in different categories, and maybe we should go about it this way today, sure. uh, as you pointed out. So. Uh, Tell us about how to put together uh, a kind of the rock midrange deck in Premodern. Sure. Uh, they're just uh, the elements that I wrote down. I say that there's the discard element, the mana acceleration element, the threats, uh, the, the spells with values, value creatures or value spells, and then removal, and then also like the mana base. So if you're starting at just discard, uh, the, the most common ones are Cobalt Therapy and Duress. And the nice thing about Cabal Therapy is you're able to supplement it with, with creatures that you're either, it, that they're just have benefits to sacking or you're okay with sacrificing them. So the, the flashback cost of Cabal Therapy is not that big of a deal with, with the rock, which is a nice bonus. Because there are some decks that will still play Cabal Therapy, but they, they don't utilize flashing it back as well as some, some decks. Yeah, because when you like look at the deck, maybe you don't see all those points because, uh, like Olan said, you mentioned it being like unfair in a way because it also plays mass removal and it plays creatures and it does so. It's a value-oriented, uh, like slow grind yeah. into a position. We have like a sometimes it can be really swinging, of course, also, but. Uh, the Duresses, Orland, you you have stated that it's like the best card in pre-modern. Yeah, well, I think it's one of the best cards for sure. But with that said, said um, I'm, I'm often combo combo or combo focused or or similar. So or or play prison decks myself. So Duress is obviously always good against me. Okay, uh, so 
it, it hurts when the opponent plays them at least. Uh, do you agree about, about that, Michael? Usually, um, the rest is the main discard card, I guess, you play then? Yeah, uh, typically I think most lists have uh, played four duress and then maybe supplement it with anywhere between one and four Cabal Therapies. But yeah, oh. the, the power of duress is really good just because just knowing, I mean, obviously taking a card out of your opponent's hand and disrupting their strategy is really good, but with the just knowing what your opponent has, because like this deck kind of has the ability to play either a more controlling route or be more aggressive, Sometimes the information just with the rest is is really good, uh, knowing what what they have in their hand, which which cards do you want to use the removal spells on, or like how they're going to curve out and how you can adapt your your gameplay. And I think it it does change the way that you might play out certain turns, given if you get certain information from a duress. Yeah, you're you're completely right about that because, like, you might have a pernicious deed in your hand and you duress and you see. You can see the turns folding out, mm -hmm. like when you might hit the <laughs> deed or whatever. Uh, so the, the other part, one drops we briefly mentioned, the mon acceleration. What do you want to say about that? Sure. Uh, so this has been somewhat discussed on the the pre-modern Facebook page. Uh, there's some debate between playing uh, Birds of Paradise or Wall of Roots. And mm -hmm. I have seen some versions that have played both, but I think the majority pick one or the other. And I know previously I almost always defaulted to just playing Birds of Paradise since it cost one mana, it fixes your mana, it adds two colors. So I was thinking that was a little bit better. Um, but more recently, I guess I've I've fallen favor to the Wall of Roots. I just feel like, mostly because I feel like the metagame has shifted that creatures are all played a lot more than they when I first started pre-modern that the the toughness on the wall is actually relevant and blocking mm. is a pretty good perk to have for the wall of roots yeah and we're not playing any lunar elves or anything like that those are never up for discussion i i guess i've seen certain i, I don't know if they're considered more of a traditional rock list but they, I've, I've seen like an aggro rock that might play like rancor and lanarels instead of maybe Birds of Paradise, just because of the one extra power. But uh, it's pretty rare that I see Land of Aurels. And like early versions might have played like Yevamaya Elder. Uh, you might see some of those, like at least in the old uh, uh, Rock Texas. Yeah, I, I would say it is a card that is played more in the older versions, but um, I actually am playing it right now in this monthly. I have three out of okay. my Elders in my version. So I think it's kind of a how your your taste in terms of the rock if if you like that slower grindy version that i think yava my elder really fits in because you can get a lot of card advantage off that one card yeah and you get to draw a card and everything works out maybe and uh, like we i don't think anybody's playing yava my uh, granger anymore but that that also happened like way back uh so it's more like turn one, turn two uh, acceleration we're talking about at least. Yeah, and I guess the the thing is that the birds and the wall of roots are so interchangeable because a lot of the times the card that you're looking to accelerate into is either Ravnus Baloth or a Blastoderm. And because that's a four drop, uh, both those yeah. cards get you to that four mana card on turn three. So they're like I said, they're they're pretty interchangeable. Like I'm not gonna like I'm not going to think really twice if one list is playing Birds of Paradise and one is going to play Wall of Roots. I think it might just be a personal preference. 
Yeah, it, it doesn't make or break the deck in right. in a sense. And and often you even want to play. I mean, you often play the rest turn one. So yeah. Um, yeah, you already have stuff to do turn one usually. If you play turn one the rest and then turn Birds of Paradise and leave one mana untapped, uh, that I mean. Exactly. It kind of feels like you often play turn one duress uh, in a lot of matchups, at least. Um. Yeah, I. If you if it's game one, uh, you you don't wanna you you might need to do that. Yeah. Uh, de- depends on your hand, of course. I guess one benefit of the wall of roots is there are certain sequences of games, and I think it tends to happen in sideboard games a little bit more that you might um, use both uh, the Wall of Roots abilities on your turn and your opponent's turn to fit in playing something and then doing like a Naturalize or a Smother or maybe activating a Deed. That that is, I guess, one benefit of the Wall of Roots that the Birds of Paradise can't do. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. Like early, you you really can squeeze out the the mana of it in a way then. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... Like also, uh, we're we're coming to lands later on, but Treetop Village is also like we we have like the three stuff. The three things are happening like the beginning of the first turns, and it's maybe a tap Treetop Village and then a Wall of Roots following it. it doesn't really matter, uh, I guess, the next turn either. Uh, but you already <laughs> brushed over where we're going uh, if we accelerate. So. What happens next? Yeah, so the kind of the appeal of, of the green cards is the creatures. Um, in pre-modern, the creature cards aren't that good. So uh, green, I would say, on average, does have the best creatures. And Ravenous Baloth is two green green for a 4-4 four, four that has the ability to sacrifice itself or sacrifice a beast to gain four life. Uh, it's just a very cost-efficient threat. It doesn't have uh, a come-into-play effect, but if someone is using a removal spell, you're able to to get life out of it regardless and it does have some synergies with other beasts and it's just a very solid creature and like so it, it, it's a good threat against a control deck it's a good clock against a combo deck and against an aggro deck it will block it will gain life so it definitely is a, a mainstay in any of the rock decks mm. uh, so uh, the other yeah. one that i did talk about before was blastoderm and this is a card i know when i started playing pre-modern I didn't think it was good enough because I was just thinking uh, just a creature with no abilities isn't something where I wanted to be. <laughs> but uh, the more that I played with this card, the more impressed I've been. Because if you're ever playing against like a combo or a control deck and you resolve this card, uh, it's very easy to... I mean, you're probably going to deal 15 damage or your opponent is going to have to spend a good amount of resources to, to save some life. There's the creature matchups where it maybe might not be at its best, but still, it. I mean it basically will stop them from attacking or they're going to have to block or take a bunch of damage from Blastoderm. And when it, before it's going to die, you have the ability to sacrifice it to Ravenous Baloth or sacrifice it to Flashback of Cabal Therapy. So the fading, uh, you can kind of get a little bit of extra value with the, the creature that was going to die anyways. Uh, yeah, I, me and uh, Berlin, we tried to build like fires uh, early on. Uh, and Blasto was like the clear first choice where you're going, uh, but we didn't really make it work out. We tried Call of the Herd also okay. in that version, but like many like 
old school deck archetypes or decks they don't really fit into what pre-modern is doing i guess yeah uh, there's certain decks that are just a little bit more powerful than i think what fires was doing back in in its prime but yeah it, it is a deck i think i've looked to and it's i don't it's not quite there maybe someone can figure it out but and uh Orlan, do have, have you been playing some baylots um, no i haven't i have been playing against baylot uh, a lot uh, and it's really a pain to play against with a lot of decks um Mm. because I mean, we we talked with Joel about like how actually like lightning bolt isn't such a good card in pre-modern that you might think if you're not playing sly maybe because and this is also a reason it's most of the real good creature are lightning bolt proof i guess yeah i mean uh well i agree that lightning bolt isn't seen in as many lists as maybe what you might think or just feel that this creature is bigger than like all the other creatures so yeah it survives bolt and it it's going to most likely be the biggest creature on the battlefield mm. uh, and from that we're going to the like i don't know the namesake of the deck in some weird where should where how we should say it but uh the deranged hermit how many yeah. do you usually want to play in uh so the list that i've played so you I guess you have a choice when you play the rock is I've seen lists that actually just forego the deranged hermit recurring nightmare package. And I guess that's if you're trying to be a little bit more aggressive, but if you want that late game staying power or something that can really stabilize the board against creatures, then deranged hermit is really good. Uh, it's just going to put five bodies into play with one card. And then the synergies with the recurring nightmare will just allow you to win a long game against a lot of decks. So that's, I think, the appeal. The I think the most commonly played number I've seen with this is two. And it's either one or two. Um, yeah. Deranged Hermits, so. It, it's this, is it the best reanimator deck <laughs> that we have? If we're counting with Recurring Nightmare? Um, I guess it turns out, like, it technically is reanimating, but I, I, I just think of it, I think reanimator is a, a different archetype, I guess. Because this is more of, like, you're just generating value. It's almost like a card draw engine in this deck. It's so when I think reanimator, you're kind of assembling a combo and trying to kill them. And this, I think of it in a different light. So, uh, I mean, maybe it's it's the most consistent, and I mean, it's in a what I would call a better deck. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, I guess I think of it in two different lights, maybe than you do. Yeah, and closing out the threat package. Uh, you have some different options also. Yeah, so spirit monger is kind of like what people think I. Th think of i guess with the rock just that apocalypse creature that was just that five mana six six it looked so impressive and uh kind of back in the standard day it was a little bit overhyped i don't think it performed what up to everyone's expectation and i guess i've i've kind of waxed and waned on this card too that um i know initially kind of back when i was saying that i just thought creatures that didn't do anything just a, a five mana six six wasn't something i was as interested in doing but I mean, there are resilient. It's a resilient creature, and depending on your meta, I think the the six six could be good. But uh, I don't. I don't know. I'm in this this monthly. I'm not playing Spirit Monger, so it depends. Mm. I've seen a lot of lists with it, and I've seen a lot, of, probably more without it. I would say. Yeah, but you're playing maybe like one or two if yeah. you're playing it. Yeah. So maybe you just want to curve into something big, but you still have the the range hermit. So it's a bit like yeah. 
I don't know. What do you think, Ola? Uh, I don't know because I, have a, I think I played against Spiritmonger once, and then like a four-four would have been almost as good. Uh, mm. Like it's the it's the size of the creature that matters. Uh, so a Blastoderm or a Ravenous Bailoff would have been as good, I guess. Mm. Uh, I remember actually we talked earlier to Anton Glanz, the Elves player. And he played what I thought was the rock, but it was the Secret Force deck with Natural uh-huh. Order, Spiritmonger, and Verdant Force. This was pre-modern 2017. Uh, and then, then people played Spiritmonger. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the Spiritmonger. Uh, the, the color changing doesn't really do anything, right? Uh, I'm trying to think if I've ever had it active. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's ever come into play. Uh, I don't think so, but I mean, yeah, it's not a very relevant ability. No, that's not why you're playing him. And you have some other options if you want to go. Yeah, some out more fringe cards. I, I've seen some decks with a number of Crozen Tusker, which kind of fits. It's kind of like a Yavamaya Elder in a sense that just works a little bit better with Recurring Nightmare in terms of raw power. You're able to cycle it, and then if you have a Recurring Nightmare, you can bring it back. So you kind of just have a cheeky way of getting a 6 5 into play real quick. And then. Some of the lists will play like a number of Phyrexian Plague Lord, and um, I guess if you have a lot of creatures that you're playing against, that that could be pretty good. Obviously, the the interaction with Deranged Hermit is good, or mm. maybe it's just a, a nostalgia thing. I don't know because I know that's kind of what I think of with the Rock in the Millions. I always thought was the Deranged Hermit and the Plague Lord together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I guess so. And why why are are you playing Plague Lord now, or have you played him? Uh, I am not. Pl- I actually. I have not registered a rock list with the Plague Lord, but I, I have seen a number with it. In. And why would you want to play it then? I guess is it's a, it's against. I don't know. Maybe goblins. I'm I'm trying to think. Something yeah, that you seems wanna... like the goblins or elves. But it seems like you also have other tools that you can fight those decks. But I mean, I guess like the the failsafe is it's a little bit overcosted of a creature that is a threat. So I mean, the 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 floor of it doesn't seem that low. So it it seems like a reasonable hedge against maybe an aggro metagame if you if you are getting to five mana. So, mm. uh, and then you the next uh, like element you wrote like value creatures or spells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So wall blossoms is a card that kind of fits in here. Is is just a two mana card that gets in the way and and replaces itself right away. And then so you can slow down your opponent by blocking their creatures. And then it also has the ability, to, it's it's a body to flashback for Cabal Therapy, and it just helps you get to the late game to, to grind things out. Uh, Yavamai Elder is kind of one that I mentioned a little bit before. Some lists opt to play it, some don't. But as a three mana card that can, when it dies, you get two basic lands, and then it also has the ability to sacrifice itself to draw. So that's a good way, like if you have the time to sacrifice Yavamai Elder, you're definitely getting good value out of it. There mm. are just certain metagames where Playing a 3-mana 2-1 is is not as impressive. But you do have the good synergy of if you Cabal Therapy on turn 1 or 2, uh, a turn 3 Yavimaya Elder and, and flash it back, the, the Cabal Therapy is a nice sequence that, that comes up a lot. Yeah, you're right. And um, like oh. there's a lot of synergies that we're going into, but like you mentioned, the Cabal Therapy, the Wall of Blossom, the Recurring Nightmare, everything works with each other in a way, I guess. Yeah, and they all, they all kind of have like the different modes. I mean, like the Yavamal, there. You're thinking about it for maybe the ability, but also there are times where just 
a two one blocker or a two one attacker is is something that helps. I mean, I, I'm not saying it's the main save of your your threat, but like the way the games play out, they're not always as clean cut as maybe the way you think of it. So uh, in the Wall of Blossoms, yeah, it replaces itself, it sacrifices itself, but also it's just it's an O four that'll block your opponent's goblin lackey or their other creatures that they're playing and it'll give you time so they they can do different things depending on the matchup mm. and you, we mentioned already the, uh, like the recurring nightmare you might play a, a couple of them or something like that yeah the, i think most lists that do play recurring nightmare usually have two because obviously if you have draw more than one then it kind of loses its impact because you don't really need the second one but uh it definitely is a very powerful engine in terms of you have, like, all the creatures just are able to, like, if you look at a Ravenous Bayloth, you might be able to gain 4 extra life. Or, obviously, with a Drain Sherman we talked about before, you're able to loop it and just get a bunch of creatures in value. Or the Wall of Blossoms, you're drawing an extra card. Yavimaya Elder, you're getting two more lands. Uh, so that'll thin out your deck and maybe make your future draws better. So Recurring Nightmare has a lot of, of targets that you can get good value out of. Um, and just kind of is is a way to ensure that you are doing something in the late game. Yeah, you're like, it feels like you're overwhelming the opponent with threats. Like later, you're going to win sooner or later. And that's recurring nightmares a part of that. Like you're getting through if you're, if the board state is like clustered with creatures, you're, you're probably going to win sooner or later. Yeah, even though this is a green-black deck and it doesn't have any blue cards, if if you're at parity with your opponent, you are usually in a pretty good spot because you have a lot of ways of, of generating advantage. So, yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, and you wrote Living Wish also? Yeah, uh, so this is probably like the biggest like divergence that we've talked about. I've, I've been more referring to like the standard black-green rock, and Living Wish is probably uh, kind of like a when you're building the deck what decision tree do you want to do? Are you going to be more of the standard rock, which might include like the, the recurring nightmare and then living wish is another package. And that usually, I, I don't know if I've seen living wish and recurring nightmare in the rock list, but I guess I would say the ones that you play living wish are less likely to play a recurring nightmare. But mm-hmm. what living wish does is it, it kind of gives you this, this package that you can play in terms of whether you just want it for more of a consistency package. So you are, are better at playing a, a turn for Bayloth or if you want to have a toolbox sideboard, and obviously you can do both, um, but you can have a few cards in the sideboard that are you, those utility creatures. And that's usually something like Utabi Orangutan or something like uh, a Genesis that'll help in during long games or something against control decks like a Dust Bowl to disrupt their mana. So the, the Living Wish is something that I see in a lot of lists that it just gives you more flexibility and inconsistency in the rock. Yeah, and maybe Bone Shredder or whatever. Mm-hmm. Some, a lot of uh, Enter the Battlefield kind of creatures. Or, uh, and you wrote Festering Goblin also. That was, <laughs> I think we talked about this like each and every pre-modern episode now, Olan. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a Martin Berlin <laughs> standard. You have to have X... Uh, ways to handle a turn one lackey has been saying that for five years now or something yeah. uh, and but yeah but but back to the living wish thing i think one thing with living wish it's always fun to play the wishes index um it's my i tend to like to play with wishes so 
Mm. I would probably go for some wish build if I would play the rock because, yeah, you you get to um, you get to confuse a lot of opponents with that card. I mean, not everyone knows every single weird card in the format. Uh, sure. Yeah, and yeah, I like I like Living Wish for the aspect of I talked about before of having like the agency. If you're casting a Living Wish and you're knowing what deck you're playing against, you kind of have a little bit more control of how you're going to shape the game. So Living Wish does help with that. Yeah, and you're you have the lands also, like you you might you might have mentioned like the Walrath Stronghold or whatever. So there's a lot of things that can happen, I guess. Yeah, and sometimes you, you yeah you could go for value and you can go for. You, we already mentioned like the spirit mongers and there's some and, and like you began talking about the, the archetype as a like you can rearrange any like a certain number of cards and make the deck real different from another the rock deck yep. and usually living wish or wishes uh, like shines in those decks i guess uh, so, but okay, we're we're brushing through the festering goblin. I don't think we need to mention anything else about it. Do you have anything you want to add to that, Michael? Oh, I I do think of Martin every time I see that card, and and yeah, <laughs> I think it's more of just if you're more concerned about uh, an aggro metagame, you can get a lot of value out of the festering goblin. And against like goblins or even like Sly, sometimes it is really yeah. awkward. It mess up their curve if they go uh jackal pup in the lava mancer or something then uh, a festering goblin's pretty awkward for them so it has yeah. its place but yeah even if they if they try to like remove it you it's a two for one like mm -hmm. almost every time uh and lastly you wrote like nostalgic dreams yeah i don't see this one as much as as other people i've, I've played it a couple times and it's kind of just a way of of hedging i've only played one in the list that i play but if the games do go long, you do have this option of just discarding a couple extra lands, which which might be in your hand because of a Yava My Elder or something, and just trade those in for for more powerful spells that you've played. Mm. I'm yeah. I I don't know. Have Have you seen? Uh, I I think I bought some nostalgic dreams. I don't remember for what like deck I wanted to try it out. Maybe yeah, but it's like many of the cards we mentioned. <laughs> value overall uh, have you seen any nostalgic dreams being played did we see any in anton glans elves lists i don't think so no right? no uh, i've only seen it being played in combo lists uh. yeah i i think that's where i'm going when i see the card but uh, kind of makes sense because like all of your all of your cards do stuff and you're willing to sacrifice a bunch of them for either therapies or recurring nightmares or even just like yeah it, the pernicious deeds that we're coming to now sure looks like he fucked his commander i knew it that son of a bitch jumped ship Welcome to the rock. Like we we talked about Discord, we talked about Bond Acceleration, we talked about the threat package and like the value spells and some creatures. And uh, the last two were removal and lands. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you want to take us through the removals and the decisions why? Yeah, so the the headliner here is the card that you talked about is Pernicious Deed, and that is just one of the most powerful cards in the format, I would say. Uh, it just has the ability, because so many decks that rely to, like a combo deck, a lot of times will need to deploy certain things to the to the battlefield, whether it's like a Lantex and a scroll rack, or if they're playing like a Sapphire Medallion, or certain things, just they need certain cards in play, and having a Pernicious Deed to to answer those cards is really good. And obviously it, it does stuff against the creature decks too. So it, it's a great way for the black green deck to reset the board, to get a card advantage. If you're killing two, three more cards with pernicious deed, it's, it's really one of the draws of, of playing the black green deck. It's probably, I would say the most powerful card in the deck. Yeah, I probably agree. Would you agree? Well, you mentioned it being like unfair, and this should be a part of it, especially if you're playing a lot of comboish decks. Yeah, uh, it's so awkward to play against, and sometimes you just face the the pernicious deed where they, the rock player puts it on the table, and the fact that it's on the table just stalls your game plan totally. You can't really do anything. And this was, when I played my mud deck, I think this was one of the cards I feared the most uh, uh, to play against. Because like a pernicious deed against like an artifact deck just wrecks it. Mm. Certainly, because like yeah, you, you'd spend all those turns getting all those cards into play. And if they're able to sneak a pernicious deed, then you just, they pretty much put you back down to square one. Yeah, and for you as a rock player, it, they you can, you, sometimes you can just sit and like either you you're the aggressor or maybe he tries your opponent tries to be the aggressor and still you have maybe all of these other removals so you're like slime you don't even need to use it it's just the, like the presence of prodigious deed that that's the game then yeah like first of all if you're just talking about like knowing that they have it they might be a little bit more reluctant to commit to the board but then also i've had a number of games where i've put a pernicious deed into play so obviously they know it's there and they're kind of stuck in this position where they're not willing to play more cards to the board because yeah. they don't want it to throw it away to the pernicious deed but then also because the nature of my deck i have four and five drops which a lot of decks don't have that i'm able to further develop my board and so i'm slowly getting ahead and they're just keeping cards in their hand so it, they're kind of stuck yeah because, because intended the between a rock and a hard place but yeah they go over uh, the deed that's yeah. what you're meaning yeah. yeah and if you're if you're like putting a thread on a table you usually only need one of them also so uh, you're sacrificing maybe one one thing and i don't know well maybe mud has some really powerful things you can have in play but, but not, a lot of decks go wide i guess but but often like the often like if if the rock player just can get a four drop into play plus a deed, they can mm. just deed for three and wipe the opponent's board. Like yeah, um, and often it's like the one, two, three drops you want to get rid of anyway. So, uh, and do you guys think? I, I don't know if we touched on that before, but this must be the format with like the most powerful and most uh, the most decks. A lot of decks have powerful enchantments in them, uh, and still you don't have. I've seen in the cup like we've seen more and more 
the need of uh, enchantment and the artifact removal, of course, like naturalizes and stuff. But if you're looking at old decks, that wasn't the case. So what do you guys think about that? Like, because pernicious, pernicious deed, it's hard to get rid of, usually. Uh, and I don't know how um, if you're playing disenchants, maybe, but I don't know what other removals you're having in your main decks. Yeah, I mean, I, I do agree that a lot of decks do have enchantments, and I think more people should be playing like naturalize effects than maybe they are, naturalize and dis disenchant. But uh, the, the kind of an interesting dynamic is in a lot of matchups, if you know your opponent has a disenchant effect, sometimes you have to wait and play the pernicious deed and leave mana open so that you know if they if they do have a disenchant effect that you're still able to get the value out of it. So yeah. it, it, it's something that is kind of interesting and it, it is a little bit of a dynamic that sometimes you do have to take the risk and you'll have to tap out to play a deed. But yeah, you can kind of get around those those disenchant effects if your opponent is playing those and still get value out of the deed. Yeah, and I guess the it's countering it or maybe stifling it, I guess. It's the best way out of it uh, otherwise. Uh, so the other removals, uh, I guess that that's more up for discussion, right? Yeah, I feel like these are kind of just pick and choose based on what you think you're playing against in the meta. Uh, the ones I wrote down, I think the most commonly played are Smother, Diabolic, Edict, and Vendetta. And then sometimes I see a Chainer's Edict, but in my opinion, I think that one's a little bit further behind the, the first three. And I think the, the biggest draw to Vendetta is that it costs one mana. And mm. I know you guys, when you talk about the Goblin deck, the presence of Goblin Lackey and how important it is. And I think that card is a good reason to play Vendetta. And then also, um, I'm okay if I play against uh, Phyrexian Dreadnought to take 12 life if I'm able to, to get it. Obviously, Smother would still kill the Dreadnought and most likely Diabolki Dick would. But the difference between 1 and 2 against a lot of those Stifle Knot decks is a pretty big deal. And so the, the first Vendetta feels feels fine i think you're, you're you're fine taking 12 the second one is a little worse if they if you're trying to cast a second vendetta in a matchup like that but i think the life loss is maybe over um people might overthink how how detrimental it is just the, yeah the one mana is very very powerful and the yeah you mentioned like we might not see that many other black creatures also uh that yeah no well there's some aggressive black decks, I guess. Uh, but uh, this is kind of what I love about Premodern, that uh, the removal isn't that clean. Okay, we have source plushers, but like if you're like in more modern formats, uh, you, you have like always the perfect answer in a way for a lot of cards. But you need to do these decisions. Like what are the meta and... What am I afraid of? And like e rearranging one small card, uh, like you mentioned in the early earlier when we talked about the bond acceleration. If you're playing Wall of Roots, maybe you're not that afraid of like Lackey as you are if you're playing Birds. And there's a lot of things that you need to go back to always, like when you're choosing, making all the choices. Yeah. And cards like Diabolki Dick like, can be drastically different if you're playing against, if you think there's Reanimators or Blastoderms or Oath decks, then Diabolki Dick is a much better card than, than Smother. But if you're expecting black creatures, 
primarily, then Smother is a lot better. Or, I mean, even decks like Goblins, I think Smother is a better card than Diabolic Edict, because it's likely that they have a creature that they're more willing to sacrifice than the one that you want to get rid of. Yeah. And the why Diabolic Edict is better than Shainers is just because of the instant ability, right? Yeah, I think it just... I mean, I haven't got to... I mean, I like I said, I haven't played with Chainer's Edict as much, but um, I think the sorcery speed is is not worth the potential of having seven mana to flash it back. Mm. Uh, Olam, what do you think, like generally about removal in pre-modern, or how you should go about if you're choosing removal for the rock? What what do you need to address? Or I mean, as we have talked about, it depends on what you expect to play against you. You just have to to guess what you're playing against and then choose after that. Mm. I think that like the spot removal is is probably where this deck is worst. Uh, mm. uh, that that's one of the problems. Like you, I've often played against the rock and they have like a diabolic edict build, and I play like two creatures and have like a a mana creature that doesn't do anything, and then a a reasonably good creature. It's like yeah. Mm. Um, or if you play against the Stifle Knot and they have like uh, another creature in play, typically a meddling mage. But yeah, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure you play at least one Vendetta. I don't know how many removals do you, spot removals do you usually play in in the rock. Well, so if you would have asked me a year or a year and a half ago, um, one of the lists I played, I didn't play any like creature removal spells. Um, and I played Naturalize instead because I felt like I would face against... I mean, the creature I was afraid of the most was uh, Phyrexian Dreadnought at the time, and so Naturalize took care of that. And there were just so many enchantments and artifacts that I thought I want Naturalize more. But I think now I, I kind of mentioned before that I think there are a lot more creature decks that people are playing, and I am playing three Vendettas right now in the list that I have, and I've been pretty happy with it. Um, I Like I said, I have played a number of creature decks, and... The life loss is not that big of a deal, and I think having the ability to do it for one mana is pretty powerful. Uh, yeah, we're, I've put forward one of your decks from the like pre-modern online monthly. That was not that long ago you played that, and you're actually playing, as you mentioned, you're playing another version of it right now, but uh, maybe we can like go through a bit some of the decks later on but you had like the last uh, thing you need to address if you're putting together the deck and that's the lands package i guess yeah uh so one of the things that's pretty appealing of of playing the rock is you get access to treetop village and this deck really makes good work of it because the like i said the games tend to go out a little bit longer than because you're not an aggressive deck and you don't have like a powerful combo finish so you get a lot of value out of either Treetop Village as a threat or as a defensive measure. And so it, it kind of pulls double duty, which we've talked about before, but it's really powerful of just having a threat in your land, which, I mean, the opportunity cost is that comes into play tapped, but um, yeah. that's not that big of a deal. And then a lot of the lists I've seen or played lately have had Mishra's Factory in and just the ability to, to kind of the same thing, that your land can be a threat either for offensive or defensive reasons is really powerful. Are um, you playing both then, or? Yeah, the the list that I'm playing this month, I have four Treetop Village and three Mishra's Factory. Okay, well, that's a like a big, <laughs> that's a big package of lads that can hit. Yep. Uh, and you have some other like cards that you, well, the City of Brass, maybe that 
goes without saying. Are you playing it or? Yeah, I, I'm playing two City of Brass. It's kind of a concession that you're playing in enemy color. Uh, you, you will have Land Over Wastes, obviously, first. But um, yeah. just given that you you do have a two-color deck that you just want more more fixing and having a couple of City of Brass, I think, smooths out the mana a little bit. Mm. So. Uh, feels like you're... you're like idea of going into a deck you need like you talked earlier about the decision about having birds of paradise also instead of uh, maybe wall of roots or even an elf or something Mm -hmm. Uh, you want to play your spells i guess yeah Uh, the the list i'm playing this month i'm playing 25 land so oh uh, i'm i'm interested (laughs) in hitting my land drops so (laughs) Yeah, I, so I think I'm going more there now as a player. How do you usually go about, uh, Olan? Are you opportunistic? Do you go, do you go by luck? Do you go down or up in land counts if you get to choose? It depends on the deck, but in in this kind of mid range controlish or similar decks, I tend to play a lot of lands. Yeah, uh, I'm probably like either the standard or plus one. Uh, so probably 24 or 25 I would play in this list if I would play the rock. Yeah, and like we have a lot of things we want to do and can do with the man, I guess. You're you're doing, uh, you, you might look at the list and you're feeling like the, the range hermit or the spirit mongers are the, like, where you're going, but also you're doing two, th- three things things a turn and keeping man up for the like deed and stuff like that right michael yeah yeah you have a lot, a lot of uses for your mana if the the game goes long the mana sinks with the the man lands or pernicious deed or yabamai elder or chaining recurring nightmare a couple times in a turn you can make make use out of having a lot of land drops hmm. uh, and you also uh, have you we've seen some earlier lists and you wrote up here dust bowl also are you playing yeah. that now or i don't have that in my list um i have played it the, the list i played last year with the living wish i had one in the sideboard and i i fetched it a lot with living wish but that's usually if uh, against the control decks it's really powerful that if they're not able to close out a game then every land that you're drawing is turning into a wasteland is really powerful against those slower decks. Mm. Uh, and like Wastelands and World of Strongholds, uh, you might see those also in some versions. Yeah, I've seen those sprinkled here and there in different lists. Uh, Varroa Stronghold kind of is a similar card to like Genesis, which I've played before in terms, or it, it kind of fits in like Recurring Nightmare and a long-term value. Um, I don't like it as much because it, it makes you skip your draw step and it it doesn't seem like it's as needed, but um, it, it could be reasonable. And then Wasteland is kind of just an easier dust bowl, but it doesn't have as a, a long, long-term long effect. It's, I guess, if you're playing more of a tempo game. But I haven't seen very many lists with, with Wasteland for the Rock. Yeah, it sounds also like you decided on Mistress Factories for the Colorless Lands instead of... And maybe also that's why you need the Cedar Brosses, actually. Uh, but you, you can't go all of them you can't play vicious factories strongholds and wastelands and dust bowls and everything i guess right yeah you have to make some concessions uh you can only play so many colorless lands and yeah like city of brass is kind of a nod just that i'd rather have the consistency i might take a couple extra damage but being able to cast your spells on time is pretty important there was no time to play we build it up 
So basically, that is the like we, we've been we talked through a bunch of like options for the different uh, like things you need <laughs> to have the deck. Uh, maybe we should look at your deck from was it March? Uh, you played the pre-modern online monthly, and yep. you went. I think you did pretty good, right? Uh, yeah, I, w I won this month. So. <laughs> so could you walk us through the list for the listeners? Yeah, so this was kind of a take that was a little bit different than most of the decks that I talk about. The core components are very similar, but the idea was a little different, was that um, I'm playing Contested Cliffs, which is a land that for red and a green and you tap it, you can make a beast you control fight your opponent's creatures. And so the idea was, I'm going to play this card instead of removal spells. So I'm not playing any cards like Vendetta, Smother, or uh, Diabolic Edict, but instead I'm using my removal spell as, as a land. And then to supplement that, I have uh, three Ravenous Bayloth, but I also have four Living Wish and one in the sideboard. And then three Spiritmonger, and again, one in the sideboard. There are four Blasterm, but that doesn't... It has Shroud, so you can't use it with Contested Clips. So... The the idea is that I call this Beast Rock, and uh, that it, it was using Contested Cliffs as your removal spell. And it, this deck was was real aggressive, I guess. Like I said, most lists don't play Birds of Paradise and Wall of Roots. I'm playing four of both of those uh, in this list, and then I'm also playing two Rampant Gross. So I really want to play a turn three Ravenous Bailoth or Blastoderm in this deck. And then I have the full four copies of Cobalt Therapy and Duress, and then... Instead of playing of removal spells for creatures, I opted for two naturalize, and of course I have the four pernicious teeth. So this is like a really streamlined. It's streamlined. It's almost like an aggressive version of the rock in some sense, but it still has the ability to kind of have some powerful threats. Living wish could get a, a more expensive card, or just pernicious teeth can take over a game. But uh, this was more of a, an aggressive list that I I played uh, last year. And uh, big props to having 15 unique cards in the sideboard because of Living Wish. Uh, yeah, so uh, that that was ambitious, and I, I guess I the first like 12 cards came pretty quick, and then I'm like, well, I might as well just have the other three be Wish targets. Uh, if I were to go back and build this again, I think I would cut a lot of the one ofs. I think most of the time I would always get Dust Bowl, Genesis, or Ravenous Bailoth. Are probably the cards I got the most. I think maybe with Tabi Orangutan, I got a decent amount. But a lot of the other cards, I think, are while they might have their little niche spots where they seem like the best card, the majority of the times it's it's either close enough to get like one of the other cards that you would normally get, and you you'd probably be better to have like a, a a more traditional sideboard card that you would normally bring in. But it's fun to have a Living Wish package and have all those those singletons available to you. Did you ever wish for Lakatus Champion? Um, uh, I definitely, I, there, either I did or I was like the whole game. The way the game played out was based off my ability to do it. I think there might have been a spot where like I didn't have to, but I was very aggressive in terms to get them down to to five life and and made different plays. So I guess yes and no. I I don't know if I ever got it and played it, but I it definitely changed the way I played one of the games at least. 
Well, one of the wish targets I kind of like is the Gigapid. Um, I think that's a really sweet card. It is really sweet. The the thing is, though, I talk, talk about is how I, I feel like most of the time, like Genesis is pretty comparable to to Gigapede. I mean, they're a little bit different, but I know like I played against Blue White Landstill and I didn't want to get it removed to Swords of Plushers, so I had to wait and I cast it while I had a uh, Cabal Therapy in my graveyard. So if he countered it, I was fine because I kind of wanted it in the graveyard anyways. And then as soon as it resolved, I flashed back Cabal Therapy so he couldn't sort of Plowshares it. And that way it ended up in the graveyard. And so while it took a little bit more work, it kind of was the same idea of getting... I had to set up the, the Genesis engine, but Gigapede is a very sweet card. I do enjoy the 6-1 the attacking people. So... Yeah, so we had a bit of a technical difficulty here and lost Seb. Um, so we'll try to go in. We have talked about the Beast Rock that won a monthly, but uh, now we're going to talk a bit about um, standard sideboards in a in a ordinary the Rock deck. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, the Living Wish decks are going to have a lot different sideboards than maybe a traditional Rock. But uh, the the nice thing about the Rock is because the matchups are kind of like so flat like you don't have really swingy matchups there's no really terrible matchup and i mean you have good matchups but there's 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 a lot of flexibility in terms of what cards you bring in for the sideboard but the the ones that i see most commonly uh i think the first card i think of is engineered plague so there's usually two to three copies of an engineered plague in a, a rock sideboard and that's just good against any of the tribal decks for sure but then also it has a lot of utilities against certain decks like if you talk about the devourer deck the that comes in as a uh a one one and so if you engineered it, plague and name i think it's a construct or whatever creature type it is then it just dies right away or something like enchantress if they are playing a enchantress you have a way to to kill the shroud creature so even beyond just the tribal decks I think Engineered Plague has a, a lot of value. There's even been times that I've considered bringing it in against like Blue-White Standstill and just naming Soldier so that it, if they don't have enough ways to get rid of the Engineered Plague, um, then they have a hard time winning. Yeah, I think that... I mean, Engineered Plague is one of the most fear, feared cards in, in all of pre-modern for a lot of decks. Um, so yeah, I can definitely see that. And... Uh, if you play the Burst of Paradise build, you can even play turn two. Um, yeah. uh, the next so. card I wrote down was uh, a Naturalize. So just this is just like a solid card against a lot of decks. And a lot of times the decks that the black removal spells like Vendetta, Smother, and Diabolic Edict are bad against, typically Naturalize is pretty good against. So I think it's pretty common if you're playing some number of the removal spells then um, you want to have some number of naturalizes in the sideboard because a lot of times that's a pretty easy swap in and out for for most rock decks. Yeah, and uh, and I feel that you almost always have a good target for naturalize. I mean, so many decks rely so heavily on on both artifacts and enchantments. So yeah, and some of them it's like their main main game plan. If you talk about like Stifle Knot, or if you talk about Oath of Druids. Uh, there's just so many decks that really need that enchantment in play. So if you're able to destroy their namesake card, then then you're at a pretty good spot for the rock. Yeah. 
another card that's pretty commonly played and this is pretty true against a lot of sideboards for any pre-modern deck is Tormod Script. And that's mostly because there just are a number of combo decks particularly that utilize the graveyard that um, are really fast. If you're just talking about Reanimator or maybe something that has Replenish, whether it's just a Enchantress deck or the, the combo version with um, a Panda Burst. There or Hermit Druid. There's there's just a number of decks that are typically fast and use the graveyard is where you want the the Tormod scripts to come in. Yeah, um, I mean Tormod scripts is the most played card in pre-modern, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean it's seldom I play a deck without at least two or three Tormod scripts. I mean, often even four in in a lot of decks. Uh, yeah, it definitely is just kind of a fail-safe, I think, for a lot of those decks that just are very powerful. But then having the Tormod script is actually a very big game because because they're so reliant on the graveyard that a, a timely Tormod script really can be uh, devastating for your opponent. Yeah, and it fits the cheating plan of the rock also, since it's got zero mana. <laughs> and uh, the last card I wrote down uh, that's commonly played is the Spike Feeder. And this is usually just a nod to the Sly. That um, well, I think the Rock is set up in the main better than most decks against Sly because of Ravenous Bayloth and just the ability to gain life. And you kind of have a little bit of disruption with pressure, so uh, you can kind of maybe take a card out of their hand, like a Fire Blast, and then have a threat and put a quick clock on them. But Spike Feeder is just a card that can kind of fit into the curve and either block and then gain four life or um i, I guess that's pretty much all it does so yeah that it's pretty much just a concession to to slide mode for the most part yeah um i mean i've tried out um spike feeder in a lot of decks but i yeah um i think i never played the card uh, actually but yeah it's it seems fine and i mean you can curve out with uh, a three-drop spike feeder and then a four-drop bail off against a burn deck and see them, yeah, yeah. they're not happy then. <laughs> yeah, so those are the cards that I see the most of. But then, uh, kind of the one of the positives of the black green rock deck is you have that flexibility, and there are a lot of different sideboard cards. They're usually one ofs or two ofs that end up in your sideboard. Um, that just depending what you expect to play against or if you have your main deck better against creatures, then maybe you want more cards that are good against artifacts and enchantments in the sideboard. Um, so you can really just tune it and tweak it probably a little bit more than other decks. Yeah. Um, and it seems, I mean, you don't, you don't really have to, to destroy your, uh, your main, main plan. You can just tweak a bit and make it a lot better against several archetypes with the sideboard. Yeah, you're usually, like, the cards that you're bringing, sometimes they're just, like, slight upgrades of what you're doing. Like, you might remove a somewhat inefficient removal spell for one that's more targeted and just make things a little bit better. And because your game plan usually is to draw the game out a little bit longer than, like, you're not an aggro deck, so you'll see a a lot more turns than most. Um, You can find those sideboard cards or find find uses to, to fit them into your game plan, so... Yeah, um, yeah. I think I c- we covered a lot about the rock today. Um, 
And as per tradition, uh, I will probably play the rock in the next tournament, as I've done with all the decks we have t- talked about on the podcast. Right. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll go for Living Wish. Uh, I'm tempted. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the things like I do like about the list is I feel like you have... You, you can kind of put your own flavor on the rock and still get away with a lot of stuff. Uh, I think a lot of lists, they have the first... 52 cards are like really almost set in stone for most archetypes and here we spent a long time talking about how many different cards you can play with a rock and just like the removal spells aren't even definitive you can play smother diabolic vendetta and that's still not deterministic of what you play and you can play living wish you could play um more blastoderms or less blastoderms you can play recurring nightmare or not and so it's really up to you and so i think that allows you to kind of fit the the rock to kind of your game style so yeah um and i think with that we are gonna end today um hopefully um um seb will find his his uh, technology and get back yeah so thank you michael for joining us for monster of the week today thank you for having me on